sure we've all had those moments when we've been uh, having a meal and decided that uh, we needed a little bit of extra salt on our chips or uh, on the thing that we were eating. Uh, and then the lid has suddenly come off and your plate is flooded uh, with extra salt. And of course we're always being warned, aren't we, about uh, having too much salt in our diet. But of course we all need salt in our diet. one of those things um, that's really vitally important to our health in the right quantity. Um, and it's striking, I think, that Jesus saying these words hundreds and hundreds of years ago says something about salt and uses that to describe something about our discipleship. Because it's still relevant today, we still get it, don't we? We still understand uh, the importance of salt, uh, and, uh, and so the, the analogy sticks for us. But Jesus talks about losing saltiness in this passage. And the Greek word that he uses, or the, the, the gospel writer uses, uh, for losing its saltiness, literally means to become foolish. To become foolish, which seems quite extraordinary. And one commentator writing about this says this, A thing is wisest when it is most fully itself, when it tastes most like itself, in keeping with its nature. It is foolish when it forgets to be what it is, when it no longer has its proper flavour. So it explains that losing its saltiness is to become foolish, when it no longer is fit for the purpose for which it was made. And I thought that, spe- that speaks to what I think Jesus is trying to get to in essence of this uh, analogy of using salt. It's foolish when it forgets to be what it is. And I guess that applies to each one of us. So we'll explore that a little bit further this morning. Salt, of course, enables all that is around it to become more fully and intensely what it was created to be. When Christians are truly themselves and what God created them to be, exercising the gifts that God's given them and following obediently the path he's he's marked out for us, we enable the world around us to remember and to grow in its true identity as creatures, salty creatures, called into being by the love of God. So when we live the lives that God has given to us, we are truly being the salt of the earth. We're doing what we were created to be, not forgetting what we are. We are two weeks into our Alpha course, and it's going really well. Thank you for your ongoing prayers for our Alpha course. But during the last two weeks, we've tackled some really big questions of life. One of them has been about the origin of humanity and questions about existence, why we are here on the earth in the first place. We've given testimony, those of us who are leading, to the fact that we believe in a God who's made us, and he's made us in his image. But the fact that sin has disfigured that image of God in us, as though we've forgotten who we really are, and why we were made, and why we were here. And of course, when we do that, we search in all sorts of wrong places for identity, don't we? Whether that's in gambling, or shopping, or alcohol, or drugs... But as Christians, our task is to show others what a life lived in relationship with Jesus looks like. What a life lived in fullness looks like. Any chef will tell you that salt is a vital ingredient in the food preparation process. And any chef will tell you that salt doesn't add flavour to a dish. It draws out the flavour that's already there. 
It intensifies the flavour. And a Christian life well lived in relationship to the one who made us should do that to the world around us. It should demonstrate the intensity of life, draw out the flavour that's already there and and show to others that a fullness of life can only be achieved uh, through relationship with him. Stanley Harhouse, another commentator on this passage. The church's most credible form of witness and the most effective thing it can do for the outside world is the actual creation of a living, breathing, visible community of faith. Our best form of witness to an outside world is to create a living, breathing, visible community of faith as a demonstration of what it looks like when we are set on fire for God. Or Louis Palau, who's a famous evangelist, puts it a little bit more crudely. The church is like manure. Pile it up and it stinks out the whole neighbourhood. Spread it out and it begins to enrich the world. Begins to be able to do its job. Just staying on the salt theme for a minute. I don't know whether you remember um, or still eat those crisps that, we are, that come in bags that are, that are flavourless potato chips but they have a little sachet, a blue sachet, I think it is, of salt in them that you pour on them and then you shake it up to draw out the flavour of the potato crisps. I remember when we first moved to Lancaster, we were decorating our first house, uh, which was on Barton Road. And my father was helping, uh, he'd come through to decorate uh, with us. And we were having a lunch break in and stood in the kitchen having our lunch. And the only bag of crisps we could find uh, was a bag of these salt and shake crisps. Other crisps are available. Uh, my dad was chatting about some, something or other, telling me, bestowing some wisdom, I'm sure, as he uh, is often to do. And he was just idly eating his crisps. And he dipped his hand into the bag, and unbeknown to him, pulled out the bag of salt. And he was just about to put the whole thing into his mouth until I quickly stopped him knocking it out of his hand. I think it would have been a nasty surprise to get the whole burst of salt in one flavour, not least to eat the bag that it comes in as well. The point is that salt, in order to be effective, needs to be spread out. If you just eat all the salt that you need for a meal in one teaspoonful, then it would overpower everything else and probably not give you a satisfying experience. God has been calling out his people to bring flavour and light to those around for thousands of years. We heard in our Isaiah passage uh, a group of people who want to be or trying to be witnesses or think they're being good witnesses to the nations around them. God called out the Israelites to be that witness to those around them. And he calls us, the church, to be a witness to those around us, a witness to the wider world. Of course, as a church, not just here, but the Church of England and other denominations have not always been good at letting our light shine and helping others to taste life better. But that's what our primary purpose is. And in that reading from Isaiah, we meet a group of people who've returned to their land following a period of exile. And they think they're being faithful to the covenant and religion to which they've been called and which God has established in them. But actually, God reminds them <clears throat> excuse me, that they're just performing the outward actions of faith without any integrity. Sure, they're doing the fasting that's, requi- 
excuse me, that's required of them. But they're just following the rituals of fasting and not doing the heart of it. They're not humbling themselves. They're not putting others before themselves. They're arguing and fighting. And God is clear that this is just empty religion. This is not what God requires. Rather, he demands justice. He demands the oppressed be set free. He demands that his people share their bread, clothe those who have no clothes. This is a group of people who have forgotten what their calling was. It's when they do get it right that God promises that their light will shine forth. And of course it's light that the second uh, picture that Jesus picks up in our gospel reading. This is what the disciples and us as a church must be. We are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are, as Jesus says, the light of the world. And these images of cities and lights that Jesus poses to us this morning ask an uncomfortable question about our Christian visibility. How obvious is it to those around us that we are Christians by what we say and how we act? On Monday morning is the only difference between us and those around us, either in our workplace or home or the swimming pool or the gym, is the only difference that we went to church yesterday. The Greek word in verse 15 that Jesus, or that's rendered lamp in our gospel reading, the Greek word is lichnos, refers to a light that is carried around by its owner. It is not a static light. And likewise, as Christians, we are moved about his world as Christ calls us and sends us. So wherever we find ourselves tomorrow morning, that's where God wants us to be. We are not just a city on a hill, static and expecting people to come to us. We are sent into his world to proclaim the good news about Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that any community of Jesus which wants to be invisible is no longer a community that follows him. Any community of Jesus which wants to be invisible is no longer a community that follows him. A church that confidently proclaims the message entrusted to it and is attractive is what Jesus intends his church to be. This is why we have things like Sunday school, why we have a mix of voices in our preaching programme, why we have diversity in our worship and liturgy, because we want this place to be a place where people like to be, where people want to come. A community to which people want to belong. But we all are also a church that is sent. Sent out to take the message wherever we find ourselves. That's why we do things like Messy Church. Why we do some of our Sunday morning services in the school. Why we do assemblies every Friday in our day school. It's why we are doing the Alpha Course. Because we are a sent people, not just a gathered community. Because we want other people to know the love of Jesus that we have found. At the end of last year, the PCC and I here at St John's had an away day, specifically looking at our vision and values. 
And at the start of this year in January, I took some time on retreat to write up all the notes that we, uh, we made on that day. And we're currently discussing what our vision and values are as a PCC. And we'll be formally launching that at our annual meeting uh, in April this year. And while there's lots of information in this document to communicate, we felt that in the end, all of it condenses down to the simple phrase that as a church at St. John's, we are trying to love like Jesus loves. And so that's our strap line for the next few years at least. A church loving like Jesus loves. The call from Jesus in this passage is to be distinctive and it's to be involved. It's perhaps unpopular nowadays and not, particularly, not politically correct to share our faith. And sometimes that can cause two responses in us. One response can be to assimilate ourselves into the culture around us so that we become almost indistinguishable from it, like a chameleon. Or it can be just to shut ourselves away from the world and become like inaccessible hermits. But neither of these responses fulfil the mandates that Jesus gives us to be salt and light in our gospel this morning. Jesus calls us to be distinct from the world around us by sharing our faith in word and in action. And this requires us to be involved in the world, modelling the Christian life as a light on a stand and adding flavour to life. And so wherever we find ourselves on Monday morning, my prayer is that we will follow the mandate of Jesus to be salt and light, to intensify the flavour of life with those around us and to let the light of Christ shine from us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've called us to be a community of salt and light here at St. John's Church. Lord, help us to know what that means for each one of us, to go from this place, to help others to see your light shining from us and help us to be your salt in the world, adding flavour, adding intensity and showing others around us what a fullness of life in you looks like. But we can't do this in our own strength, and so we pray for your Spirit's power to be in each one of us. And we pray this for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.